Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and I am thrilled that you are joining me today because we have a very good guest. As we do most weeks, we have lots of interesting people on this show, and I know that you will be really engaged by the insights that we're going to hear today on In Transition. But I will come to the introduction of our guest in a moment. But as we start each week, I do think it's so important that we understand just exactly what content marketing is as it relates to government and public sector. So the definition, content marketing is a strategic, measurable, and repeatable business process that relies on the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So if anyone asks you about content marketing in government and the public sector, that is what we are speaking about. Now to our guest today, Jenny Muir is the General Manager of Primary Communication, a strategic communications agency based in Australia. Jenny leads the campaign advocacy, government and stakeholder relations team. And throughout her career, she has worked with many public sector organisations, including the South Sydney Council, the New South Wales State Government, and the Australian Human Rights Commission. But also, very importantly, earlier this year, she was elected as the National President of the Public Relations Institute of Australia. Jenny Muir, thanks very much for joining us in Transition. My pleasure, David. Jenny, congratulations. That's a very big job that you've taken on, not only the day job um, at Primary Communication there, where you're extremely busy delivering programs for for your clients, but you've taken on the additional um, honour, or should we say burden, of being National President of a a volunteer organisation. Um, uh, thank you, and thank you for recognising, I guess, the breadth and depth of um, the the gig, as you, as you say. Um, I think for, for the Public Relations Institute, um, we've been around for 65 years, but like many of your listeners will um, have in their day-to-day reality, um, the profession of public relations and communication is has expanded considerably. Um, It now, hmm, depending on who you're talking to, but as our definition, like you've just skillfully given a very specific definition of content marketing, um, we currently recognise more than 1,200 job titles. Wow. Uh, Well, yeah, and I guess is that's because people are quite creative with their job titles. (laughs) Um, and getting more and more creative, um, but specifically that that pays respect to the diversity um, that now exists in our profession. Um, I call us a profession because um, in my professional experience and many, many, many of our members and our colleagues across um, many areas, we sit at Um, the senior executive leadership table. We're often sitting around um, sharing a boardroom table or a meeting table with 
um, legal counsel, with financial counsel, um, with all people of that ilk and that expertise. So that's why I'm very um, specific about calling ourselves a profession. But um, I guess the the role of national president um, is a very, very privileged one, or well, I feel privileged, um, to also be at leading an organisation and a profession that is going through such radical and exciting change. It is indeed that, radical and exciting and challenging and everything else. So from the from the top of the mountain there where you sit as <laughs> national president looking out over your minions, what are you seeing? Where are those challenges and where are the opportunities and how well are we coping? Okay, so... When I um, took on this role, um, I was determined to um, bring a program of change and of front-footedness, um, I, of PR and comms really embracing their role as strategic communicators and leaders. The, there's still some challenges in some legacy misunderstanding of what we do um, the value that we deliver, the skill sets that we have. Um, I think to, to a small degree that's a little bit of a builder's house problem, um, that we're always helping others to understand their messages and a little bit sometimes we leave our own, the promoting and advocacy of our own sort of stuff to last. Um, but I'm determined to um, turn that around and we've been making really good inroads into doing that. But I guess in a nutshell, we have a really strong opportunity to build up the um, understanding and awareness and, I guess, recognition of our diverse profession um, through uh, recognition, education and awareness, so education and training, building, um, advocating for ourselves as a profession um, through our codes of conduct and um, the structures that we use. But essentially, every communicator, regardless of which organisation they stand in, and I know that many of your audience is part of the public sector in a variety of roles, um, they should be proud of the contribution that they make. They're often the quiet people in the corner toiling very late into the night, um, depending on how close to policy and ministerial sort of decision-making they are. Um, and obviously, and, and most often, they are the ones that are the key architects of thinking and language. And they're the ones that are the litmus test for how it's going to play to the very specific audiences that they're trying to influence. Um, and I think right at the core of it is what, um, our bread and butter is influence. Now, that answer is a treasure trove, I've got to say. <laughs> there is a lot of stuff in that that I do want to unpack sort of one issue at a time. Sure. I suppose this first one is communications has and certainly in government and public sector, in my experience, has not been valued particularly. You know, it's seen as, you know, almost a service provider, end of the line, create this for us on the way out while the, you know, the policy people do the thinking at the big table. How how can people manage that transition from 
here we are. Yes, we can create great service delivery for you, but our greater value is the is how we can create, as you very um, uh, eloquently described there, that notion of architecture of both thinking and language and creating that value. How do people get to that point where they are able and accepted by their legal uh, colleagues and their financial colleagues as people who are deserving and worthy of a seat at that top table, as opposed to just the service providers at the end of the discussions? Okay. So big question, but I'm happy and pleased that I can answer it. Um, The Public Relations Institute and on behalf of its members and the broader profession, because we advocate for all, whether they're our members or not, and we hope that obviously by what we do, they become our members um, because they recognise that value proposition. But three things for you. A, Australia and the Public Relations Institute's um, model for research measurement and evaluation is now held by AMEC at an international level as the global benchmark for one of the best models for research measurement and evaluation. That has been five years of work We are talking comprehensive um, tracking and the ability for people in the public sector who work in the PR and comms roles right across all those diverse titles, They, if they adopt and learn how to use those measurement tools, then their ability to have a conversation about their value becomes immensely enhanced because you can put it on the table and say, this is your return on this investment and we're no longer a, a resource that you think of as last. You're the, we're a resource that you should include as part of your initial thinking before you move on anything. So that's one tool. The second tool, which is coming down the pipeline, and thanks to our ACT president and um, our ACT council and team, um, who will be um, representing it to the public sector in Canberra and and um, doing a lot more work for that. We have a professional framework, and the professional framework is the first time that the PR and comms profession has a blueprint for tracking and managing your career development pathway. Behind it sits a comprehensive competency matrix that is mapped to the AQF. And that tracks your career and all of those all of those different competencies, hard skills, soft skills, and all of that, from undergraduate right up to 25 years of um, of experience in the profession. Um, and all of the public relations programs for professional development and training will be mapped to that. Um, so that's a lot of work that's rolling out over the next 12 months. And then thirdly, that. The advocacy broadly of the the value of um, that PR and comms professionals can play is often only real, like really understood in the eye of a storm when it, the crisis hits, all everything hits the walls, and the PR and comms person is called in to strategize, to stand in front of, you know, the hail of bullets and all of that kind of stuff. So we've got to get out of that that discussion and but it's also an interesting time to start having a conversation about value because sometimes in some situations people only can understand value in the middle of a crisis when you're about to help them out of trouble. 
So one of, the, and this is a pet topic on on this subject, uh, sorry, on this podcast that I often like to talk to people about and get their views, because one of my theories is that the transformation that we've seen in terms of technology, which means people now carry around these supercomputers in their pockets and in their purses, and they have sort of joined up the world and through connectivity, everyone who we need to reach and influence and engage in order to achieve our business objectives are essentially on the grid. How big a change is that in terms of providing an opportunity for public relations professionals to be able to create value um, in contrast to where we used to be in the, you know, the, the, uh, the age of, you know, restricted channels and restricted connectivity? Um, I think based, I, I think you, your answers inherent in your question is, is that technology has given us extraordinary freedom and, and influence and power. Um, it has connected us to the volumes of audiences that we have always um, dreamed of connecting to. But in saying that, the measure of, and the level of discipline that we now need to have in the way that we plan and disseminate information and the speed in which we need to do that requires a whole different type of resourcing. You cannot ask the same headcount inside your department or your organisation to respond to in this new world order at the because the volume and the speed will drain them immediately and you'll end up with quite exhausted and non-productive re, um, human resources in your comms and PR people. So while tech has given us extraordinary connectivity and influence, um, I would caution and I, in my day job I work very closely with mental health and wellbeing um, agencies around um, the making sure that everybody doesn't get work fatigued. Um, we're starting to see a level of fatigue come into professional communicators that we've never seen before. The only um, comparison would be um, war reporters and journalists that work at the front line. Okay, that's interesting. I hadn't hadn't really thought about that, but it, that does make sense because, as you say, that you know the volume, um, the discipline, the speed, the requirement to be always on in order to service the needs of of the audience who you're seeking to reach and influence. But that probably this also moves me to probably my next sort of theory that I've got that's coming out of this uh, change in technology is that the the skills of communication and the skills of public relation are really going to have to be um, distributed and democratised in organisations. So it's not no longer going to be just the purview of the central comms area, that you are actually going to have to put those skills much closer to the citizen in order to deliver the services that they'll be looking for. What's your view on that sort of emerging role of public relations professionals as sort of being the strategists and the experts, but the actual doing um, being distributed throughout an organisation? Um, I think that's the reality, actually. Um, unless you're a multinational corporation, um, like we, we're seeing some 
incredible um, investment in internal resources within um, organisations, um, both corporate and, and government, of the like that you're getting a headcount in your comms teams of over 50 to up to 100 people um, who are solely responsible for all of the touch points um, so that the organisation is keeping control. Essentially, they're building their own newsrooms um, that are on all the time. So that is, we're seeing a, a some of that, um, but obviously that carries an incredible sort of line item in your budget if you want that headcount. But I think the, what you're suggesting is probably more likely to be the norm, and that is where everybody within your customer service teams, your customer contact centres, your um, your marketing teams, those that are your heads of business, if you're looking at a, an organisation, all have and are trained in being able to use their digital platforms to engage with whomever their stakeholders or customer base is. Um, that requires an investment by the organisation in training and an awareness of the how to manage tone and content. Tone is everything. Um, and to, to really um, adopt an authenticity that the organisation can sustain because it's live, everything's live. Indeed. Now, it's, it's, it's that very point, again, I... Uh... I like to focus on this notion of education and training and this democratisation of the skills that are going to have to be built into organisations and that communication is going to become everyone's responsibility, not just the comms areas who will become increasingly those uh, those architects of the thinking and language, if I could borrow your uh, description, which I actually will uh, take. And I will, I will give you credit for it, but I think I can use that in a few presentations because I really <laughs> like the way you Happy put that. Happy to gift it to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll take that. But but education and training, so how do you see that happening in, into the future? Obviously, the, the PRIA will have its education and training, but the demand will be so large, won't it, if you consider that this change will need to take place in so many organisations? Yeah, and, I mean, I'm thinking of um, a case that was it's um – I'm aware of at the moment, where an organisation who has a ANZ footprint um, wants to build a leadership voice um, and it wants to use its executives of there's 50-something of them, I think, that, that was recounted to me, um, and they want them all to have a, a voice around insights, a voice around their expertise about um, that area of expertise they want to use them to advocate and connect out and build a very large communities proactively and also once you do that you put them in a position of being I guess as we're calling it live now to do that you need to train them one-on-one on, one on one because they all have their individual quirks. I mean, anybody, any of your listeners who's had the pleasure of training a boss or a CEO or a secretary of a department or even a minister on speaking to media and delivering speeches and, and the like knows the effort that has to go into that kind of scenario. So if you distill that down to, you know, every executive with a phone in their pocket, 
or in their handbag, then yes, you're right, that does take time and effort. But if they get it wrong, the consequences can be enormous. Not only does it hit the organisation's reputation and needs, as you say, the architects to reach down and take hold of the problem and fix it, um, but in some cases it can hit share price. It can hit um, major issues of public interest. So you go carefully, but I don't think that you can say, no, we're not going to do it. I think that you're kidding yourself if you think that you can stay in a bubble and control it all. I think um, by the sheer fact that you've got devices in everybody's hands on every lap of every toddler, then you're, you're going to need to embrace that. Do you think that there is an understanding, an awareness, and an acceptance, indeed an appreciation within the senior executives, either of you know public sector organisations, government organisations, or indeed private sector organisations, of just how fundamental this transformation is? And are they ready and able to make the changes in order in, in terms of resourcing, in terms of training, education and everything else that they're going to have to invest in order to become effective in you know, the continually sort of evolving and changing digital age? Look, I think, I think that there is an understanding and, I, and I'll sort of use examples um, that may, that'll be hopefully relevant to your, um, your listeners. Firstly, I'd like to say that in a crisis situation with any organisation, all roads default back up to the architects um, and a discipline must be um, embedded within anybody, anybody that any employee or anybody that has a role of um, that's speaking to any customer or stakeholder or any audience. So in a crisis, the levers get changed and then... then they will be rebriefed as to how they behave and it needs to move quickly and the architects need to be very quick on that. So I'll put that in the, in the zeitgeist. But I think that you've got some good examples of um, when I was preparing to chat to you and your audiences in, in Canberra in the federal government who have embraced this and done it in a, in a measured and managed way and it's been quite effective. I think that the ATOs um, pivot in the way their strategic approach to communicating to all of their di very diverse audiences has been impressive and I know that um, significant investment has been made both internally and with agencies and external resources to make that work. I'm sure... Um, many in your audience have um, probably personal and professional experience in that um, and how that's come about and it's probably not been as smooth as it's looked from the outside. Um, <laughs> never, It never is, but, you know, you never show somebody the way sausages are made. Um, but that's an impressive turnaround for, an, for an, a department and an, and an agency that is enormous um, to do that. It's been... It is something quite interesting to watch. Um, to a smaller degree, I think that the war museums, Australian war museums, um, handling of the Anzac centenary has been extraordinary. Um, I 
think that it has had this beautiful touch. It's personal. It's been moving. Um, I think that it's raised awareness of things like the humanity that sits inside the heart of war and conflict um, by putting, making it personal and making it in, as an individual thing as well as um, wrapping, you know, the large key messages of centenary and all that around it. Um, it's been quite an impressive thing to watch an organisation like them do. Um, so kudos to those team and I think that that connection across social media and the digital, um, the use of digital has been quite extraordinary. Um, I'm personally a fan of watching the roll call come out every day um, from all of the um, celebrating um, each returned serviceman's story. I think it's a really lovely touch. Um, and I think that, I mean, what you probably, and there's lots and lots to be probably said, but not for this moment, what's going to be learnt out of last week's census scenario um, with ABS is has quite an extraordinary amount to, to tell us in how to and how not to um, prepare for a major campaign and communication piece. Um, and it gives is a really stark example of how connected your citizenry is um, and your and how readily they are prepared to feed back to you. <laughs> when things don't work. When things don't work, yes. Yeah. How just just to take off you know a thread, we'll we'll go down the, yeah, the, sure. this, the, this lane of of creating personal, vulnerable content and being mm. able to tell a story in an authentic and a, and a personal way, it's often very challenging for government and public sector organisations to bring that real human element into the story. When you're consulting with clients, what sort of advice do you give them? And have you got a, a, a few examples perhaps of where you've been able to guide you know, a public sector client down this path of being more human, you know, more real, <laughs> more accessible in order to achieve a better result? Um, sure. Um, okay. So with my, with my day job hat on, um, we do quite a lot of this work, um, both for particularly in the mental health space and social issues space. Um, we've noticed over, particularly over the past five years, four years, probably the use of, um, what we call in the mental health sector, the lived experience story is powerful beyond belief. Um, getting that to sit right um, with all of the sometimes the structures and um, restrictions that often happen within a department or an agency is a tension that is worth um, going through. The process is worth going through because the, the return on that kind of investment in that authentic storytelling is so powerful. Um, particularly if you're trying to do things like advocate, raise awareness um, and connect with an, an audience around their experience of something, particularly if the issue is around destigmatization or changing people's understanding of something that's sometimes a little bit hard for people to appreciate. Authentic storytelling is a very powerful tool. But, um, but but what if you offend somebody? 
Well, you know, what about the risks, Jenny? Okay, so <laughs> so everybody, yeah, everybody often is more wanting to raise a flag on the risks. If your communication piece, if you have sat with somebody and asked them to tell their story and you've not meddled with it too much or put, put excessive amount of production around it because the authenticity is key, then your audience will connect with that. And the risks are inherently quite low if if the authenticity is real. So I'll give you an example of this. The, we did um, worked on a campaign for the Human Rights Commission, um, which was around um, trying to help young people understand their role as a bystander to cyberbullying. So if you're sitting on Facebook or Snapchat or, you know, Instagram and watching a friend get bullied online, don't sit there passively, sort of chime in. So it was around trying to give them real-life examples of what that's like. Now, sometimes, so there's two ways that you can use the authentic first-person story. You can use it to inform the development of your campaign from the beginning and have the people who the issue is about involved in the development of the campaign. That's one way, and that's a very powerful way because it's based in real experience. And then you can, if you if if you'd have the ability, you can pull that experience all the way through to the outputs and the materials and the storytelling. Sometimes you can't, you don't have that opportunity, but sometimes it's very powerful if you do. Indeed. Indeed it is. And we're probably we could now go down the path of a conversation around content and the yes. you know the ability to be able to produce distribute curate etc cetera, etc cetera. but i do want to be respectful of your time and i think what we will do is into the future get you back and uh, get some more of these insights uh, for the for the benefit of our, our audience so that they can uh, understand more about this evolving process and this evolving role of public relations professionals as as they get closer um, you know to the senior executive as they get you know, perceived more for their value and the strategic value that they can create in organisations, which I think is only increasing by the day. And I know that there are so many skilled storytellers out there and strategists and uh, language and think and thought architects out there who are doing great work every day, not only in the public sector, but the private sector as well, that I, I don't think it's going to be too much longer before the credibility of the uh, profession is going to be uh, seen as a, a must-have um, when they begin any sort of discussion around problems that they are seeking to solve. So, listen, Jenny, just um, maybe a bit of an ad for the uh, for the Public Relations Institute of Australia. How best could people uh, get involved, get online, and sign up to become a member of the organisation? Okay. So, firstly, membership is so your professional membership um, is only a couple of hundred dollars per annum. Um, and for that, there's so many um, benefits that you get that are inherent in the organisation's deliverables to you. But in the public sector, we're working really carefully and closely to be able to tailor um, things for you, particularly in Canberra. Um, we are aware that you have some very unique requirements. Um, and I know we're working very carefully to deliver those quickly for you. Um, but if you don't want to become a full member as 
um, at the moment. We, I'd encourage you to become what we're calling an introductory membership, and that's kind of like being a friend of the Public Relations Institute. So you get some discounts and benefits from the networking events and the training events that are held in Canberra at the moment and around the country, um, but you don't get all of the benefits, but it's a nice way to kind of put your toe in the water. Priya.com.au is your very simple address. Um, Google will help you as well if that's um, needed. Um, and I guess is, is what I'd encourage you all, um, all your listeners to do is to just have a bit of a think about what they can do to connect and build networks with their colleagues um, because, I mean, I know I've been there where you are all sitting. It can sometimes be lonely and sometimes you're kind of – feel like you're pushing it up a mountain, but find ways to connect with your colleagues um, because, believe me, they will share war stories um, and you'll feel like you belong to a very, very connected community. Yeah, and I'm fascinated and I think next time we talk I'll be interested to dive a little bit more into these mental health pressures that we're starting to see uh, you know, take hold because as, as the expectation and, and requirements of of delivering value in in the new world sort of, you know, arrive and and become real in everyone's life. So I think that's a really interesting conversation to to have at another time. I'll be happy to have that. We will have... We have just finished some research across the whole profession on the mental health and well-being of the profession, so I'd be happy to bring that data to you. Ah, okay. So when might that be available? Um, that'll be ready in about eight weeks' time and the PRAA will be developing masterclasses for PR and comms professionals for self-care and as well as being aware of the power of their communications and the impact it has on people um, around mental health and wellbeing. Okay, fantastic. Okay, well, consider that booked. I will find you in... Uh in about eight, nine, well, I'll give you a little bit of time to settle it down, but maybe in two or three months' time we'll sit down and go through that because I think that will be of massive uh, interest to our audience, not only here in Australia but around the world. So um, that should be great. So, Jenny, thank you very much for your time. Again, uh, a great episode of In Transition, ladies and gentlemen. I did promise you value. I've delivered it once again. Thanks very much for for tuning in. If you are on iTunes or Stitcher and you could give us a review, that's great. If you want to register for Content Group's newsletter, come to contentgroup.com.au. Um, if you've got a suggestion of anyone you'd like me to interview, also info at contentgroup.com.au, that would be great. But otherwise, I'll speak to you next week and have a great week until then. Bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.